it's higher than the national road toll. It's crazy that it happens so often, but it's not spoken about because it's sad and people don't want to speak about it. But at the same time, unless we speak about it, nothing's going to be done to change it, to change those rates. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. Today's In Conversation guest is someone we admire so greatly, we jumped on a plane to meet her. In case you're not familiar with her name, Belle Sloan is a television presenter for Channel 7. She's also the wife of AFL star and captain of the Adelaide Crows, Rory Sloan. In 2018, Belle and Rory lost their first child, Leo, who was born sleeping. In this interview, we talk about that grief, but also the love that Leo brought to both of their lives. We also talk about what it was like to fall pregnant again with their little boy, Sonny, and the mechanics of keeping that entire pregnancy secret from the outside world. I do want to give you all a bit of a visual before we start. We actually sat down with Belle in her Adelaide home at her dining table and there was a great big Christmas tree right beside us. On that Christmas tree were a collection of baubles that read the names of their little family, Mum, Dad, Sonny and Leo, the warrior who will never be forgotten and whose passing ignited a legacy that will help Australian parents for years to come. Here's Belle. Belle Sloan, welcome to Shameless In Conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, you have put on a beautiful fruit platter for us. Oh, there are not you. many people we would fly to Adelaide for <laughs> or fly interstate for in general. And we got on a plane this morning because we are so excited to sit down with you. So I was going you. to say fly to Adelaide for Adelaide gets a bad rap. I was hoping you weren't going for that angle. <laughs> not at all. No. Just interstate in general. Yeah. <laughs> that well, is true. It came with a bit of tone. There's no one would fly to Adelaide. It did. It was like, I wouldn't fly to Adelaide for everyone. <laughs> it's my first time in Adelaide. I'm quite excited to be here. Here, three hours I'll try and like jam pack all the yeah. stuff I need to get done I feel like at least we're near the beach so you can go and check out the beach it's 28 degrees today so we'll yeah. bring our podcast equipment <laughs> <laughs> we'll live stream from the beach <laughs> well we start every episode in the same way which is to ask what are you reading watching or listening to at the moment that you would recommend oh okay this is a bit of a sad one because at the moment I've rediscovered the wiggles oh. um so we've got our little boy Sonny and can I tell you I understand why they are multi-millionaires because I have not heard Wiggles songs in years. They have come back to me like I listened to them yesterday. Really? So they're so using like, the same ones. The same ones, except Emma Wiggles come in. So there's like the female voice coming she through, which we like. She is a phenomenon. Like, Literally, she is massive. Massive. And it's amazing to watch how like obsessed little children obsessed, are with them. Absolutely. But like I get the song stuck in my head. Knickerbocker number nine. Love <laughs> it. But anyway, aside from that, I'm actually listening to, similarly to what Steph said um, the other week, the Lighthouse podcast. Mm. So that really appealed to me because we went up to Byron like a couple of days after Theo disappeared. And I remember we were doing the Lighthouse walk and there were like people in the bushes searching for him and like heaps of people out doing, you know, the community kind of search Mm. that they did. So that's been really good to listen to. So I'm only about three episodes into that. Is it gruesome or like scary? No, but you really start, your mind just starts ticking. Like I just, I'm just kind of like, yeah, what did happen? Mm. Was, you know, was he unhappy? Was it, you know, they got, cause they speak to everybody in his life. So you start to question everything, but yeah, I'm swept up in it, but I'm really disappointed that we don't have like a final 
this is like an answer yeah. to it at least with the teacher's pet you feel like you got some type of resolution exactly. or something's happening I really want to listen to it it's one of those podcasts that keeps popping up in conversation so I've now heard it five or six times recommended to me and yeah. I feel like by the can you just time, listen then it's come like, right, on maybe after this we'll take the podcast equipment to the beach and then yeah. both listen to the lighthouse so true <laughs> the second question we always ask Belle is what was your childhood like so I grew up in Melbourne, eastern suburbs of Melbourne, and my parents were together until I was about four. So they got divorced. Um, we lived with mum and went and saw dad, went and stayed with dad every weekend, every second weekend. And I grew up with a sister two years older. So we just kind of pretty, I don't do you say standard childhood. We spent a lot of time with our cousins, friends, um, went to a Catholic primary school, around the corner from our house. Nana lived around the corner. My auntie and uncle lived around the other corner. So very like in close proximity with our family, which was really fun. And just a happy, happy kid. I think I was pretty competitive, still am. So really quite sporty. Thought I was good at basketball and netball, but turns out I'm probably not great at basketball. (laughs) I think I'm better at netball. What position in Um, netball did you play? I played centre wing attack for oh, the running one. Was that the same as you was Because I was little. There was few others I could play. It's also a great position for a competitive person. But yes. can I say, every person I speak to played centre wing attack. So I'm like, who played the other positions? Who played? No one wants to say wing defence. I did play a little bit of wing defence sometimes, but wing defence was that position that nobody no, wanted. No, it's like if you didn't have someone, you'd be like, sorry, you're going to have to go into <laughs> wing defence. Oh, absolutely. And I wonder if centre and wing attack now seem like the attractive positions to want to sort of look back on and pretend that you played, even yeah. if you didn't. Because let the record show I did actually play. I played as well because goal attack were like oh, the goal shooters was always a bit of an eye roll. Like you just want all the I attention. Instead of wing attack, you're like the workhorse of yeah. the team. I feel like goal shooter is a bit lazy too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, they goal can only attack. run in the tiniest little vicinity. And goal attack show pony. <sighs> so sporty kid. Sporty kid. So grew up playing sport. And yeah, just sort of like love life really. Outdoors a lot. So we were never really inside a lot. So outdoors a lot. When travelled around Australia a bit like Warrnambool, we had family. So we'd go there quite a bit. Spent a little bit of time in Marimbula. So yeah, just a fun, fun Aussie childhood, I think. And what about school? How did you go at school and what did you want to do when you finished school? So I was very social at school. I, I was sort of like friends with the teachers and then I was also you know I was but I was a bit cheeky but the teachers loved me and then I had all my girlfriends but I was sort of seen as the the good one in that sort of group but I I was a bit of a peer pressurer so if I like if we were like oh let's you know for example in high school a friend lived around the corner well I wouldn't say around the corner probably like a 10 minute walk from school and on hot days we'd be like let's duck out at lunchtime and run home and jump in your pool in our dresses and then come back. <laughs> and anyway, so we'd go and do that. We'd like run home, swim in the pool, come back. And went, why are you in wet? your school dresses? In our school. I don't know why we decided with our boxer shorts. Remember how you used to wear silk yes. boxer shorts it's under your dresses? so uncomfortable. So, well, but it was refreshing. I just think, how did I do it? I get frizzy hair. Like how, what did I think about my hair? I always hear <laughs> stories about this and I'm just in awe because I just was the kid that never broke a rule at school. And I had such <laughs> awe for people that had like no inhibitions about it. Like we're just happy to do things like that. Yeah. It was harmless things too. It is too. totally. Like for example, one day we were like, oh, it's too far to go to your house. So there was a house literally on the street of our school that had a pool in the front yard. So a bunch of us went and jumped in the pool in the front yard. A random person's pool. Knocked on the door first to make sure they weren't (laughs) home. Jumped in. But then my friend Lauren would always get the blame for it. And I just kind of, looking back, I wasn't a great friend. I'd let her take the fall for it. Okay, yeah. That's um, amazing. Yeah, so so not particularly academic, but I think I definitely wanted to go into, I always loved that presenting sort of side of things. But at the same time, 
you know, you think, oh, how many jobs are there in that? And, you know, how, how, how would I go in that? So I started thinking maybe marketing and then see where things go from there. Talk us through how you met Rory. Ah, we met on a corner in St Kilda <laughs> at the Saint. Um, oh, the classic Saint. at the Saint. So we have a lot of mutual friends in Melbourne, which is so strange because we had never crossed paths. So I feel like that's the whole timing is everything, you know, that cliche, like you'll meet when the time is right. I actually believe we did. So we met through a mutual friend in Melbourne and we just became friends. I had a long-term boyfriend at the time. So, um, yeah, Rory and I were just friends for a while. And then after a while, I think, you know, my boyfriend and I had, we'd been together for quite a while. We were sort of growing up, growing apart a bit. So... I called that off and then not long after Rory and I started talking again and got things going I think it's so weird looking back I'm just like how did you know how did I not see that from the start but I think maybe deep down you do but you sort of suppress it because you're like no where I'm at at the moment is I'm this is me I'm in this relationship and you know you sort of just push everything else to the side but looking back I'm like I think we both had that connection from the start but we we sort of just suppressed didn't it or something it for a while, and then yeah. How old were you at the time? Oh, how old was I? So it was about nine years ago. So I would have been twenty-two. So what was it about Rory that you found attractive? Oh, look, he is just—he's one of those people that when you're talking to, he really engages. So I mean, you just met him before. First person to go up and say hi, I'm Rory, and actually is interested in knowing about you and is really genuine and I think you can tell that from the start I'm a big believer and you can tell if someone's faking it or if they're legit and I just I got that really warm feeling from him at the start and then I also saw the way he interacted with everyone else and I was like that's just the way he is and he's also very chilled out and so I really value that in him and I think that's what drew me in because he's just one of those people that you can talk to and you feel like you've known him forever and just can talk to him about anything. So so when did it come about that he was going to be moving to Adelaide to play footy? So he was in his off-season when I met him, which I didn't know what an off-season was <laughs> because I grew up, my dad's Italian, like we, you know, I have a sister. We just weren't a footy family at all. I only had a team because, you know, you have those footy days at school, so mm-hmm. you've got to wear a Guernsey. Of course. So, Essendon I was because that was a cool team. The I feel time. like that's the go-to team of like early 2000s. 100%. Zara McDonald over there. <laughs> like, You're both fake Essendon supporters. Like totally, 100%, totally. 100%. So he was in his off season and then I was like, what is that? And he was like, well, I'm, you know, and I, when he said I'm playing footy and I've just, you know, got some time off, I'm thinking, okay, like didn't really give it a second thought. But then later on when we started talking more, I was like, oh, he actually – he plays football like oh he's actually in a team because he was only second year I think and then I started traveling over a bit and I think it was one of those things that I just thought look I'm not going to do this long distance thing it's not reality like it's not you're never going to know if it's going to work unless you're actually living together that's my belief each their own but with my work I could kind of pack it up leave get another job but he obviously it's not as easy for him so I thought okay I'll come over move over for a little bit we'll see how we go if it doesn't work out I'll move home and eight years later I'm still here what's it like being the partner of a professional athlete because I think particularly in the public eye it's the thing that we choose to define women by often when they are the partner of a high-profile athlete what is that experience like more so people don't respect your relationship I think they look at it as like oh that's not real and they think they can weigh in on different things or you know we'd we'd be out and you know we're clearly standing there holding hands and girls would come up and try and pick him up in front of me and stuff and I was just kind of like 
would this happen if it was someone that wasn't in the public eye? I'm not sure it would. So I found it really challenging at the beginning. And Adelaide is such a small place as well where it's a big footy town. So, I mean, you know, players are recognised quite heavily over here, whereas in Melbourne they may not be. So I struggled with that. But it is, it's hard because literally everything you do is scrutinised if it is in the public eye. You know, for example, when I went into presenting I got that job because Rory's my partner and granted it does open up a lot more doors for you I'm not naive to that it really does but you have to do a good job to keep a job you know what I mean then people aren't going to keep you around if you're not doing well at the position totally that you've got so yeah it's hard but I've sort of gotten used to it now and I just kind of think I've learned to block out a lot and Rory does not read anything. He does not, whereas I'm a little bit of a reader and I used to like read the comments, get cross, but I think he's rubbed off on me now. So I've like chilled with it all now. You're zen. I, I like to think I'm quite zen. So you get married in 2017, was it? Or 2016? 2016. 2016. Yeah, Were kids day. always the plan for you two? Always. So we had started talking like kitty names when we got engaged pretty much. So yeah, we spoke about kids knew that we wanted to start we sort of started thinking about it and getting going before we got married but yeah always just thought yeah as soon as we get married we'll start popping them out and start start making our little family we read in the piece you did with abc about a campaign that you were involved in and we'll get to that a little bit later yeah that you with your first child leo you both went through a process of ivf and you did did touch on that off mic before can you explain to us and the listeners who might not really be across that particularly Mm -hmm. some of the younger ones what toll that process can take on you. Yeah, so we just kind of thought, you know what, like as soon as we want to have kids, it will happen. As you do, you taught in school, you have sex unprotected once and you're going to get pregnant. <laughs> literally. 16 and pregnant on MTV. Oh, everyone literally. That as well. It's like every female's nightmare between the ages of about 15 and 25. I yeah, like, still like, I'm not condoning unprotected sex for people who are not ready to have children, but it is a very small window each month that you can fall pregnant in. So we we were trying for quite a while. Then we went and saw – so I did the whole um, naturopath thing and all the – what is the needling thing called? Acupuncture. Oh Acupuncture. Did that for quite a while and just no success. So we thought, okay, let's, let's go down the actual scientific route. So we went and saw a fertility specialist and he was just like, look – I can't put my finger on exactly what it is, but there's something that's not quite working for you guys. I wasn't necessarily ovulating every month, which contributed to it as well. So he was like, you know what? I think it's best to start some treatment. So we started this thing called IUI, which is what you do before you do IVF. So it's it's another sort of thing that they assist you with. So you do all the injections and everything, but usually you'll do it three times. If it doesn't work three times, then they go right straight to IVF. So that's what we did. And IVF is exhausting it's full-on and it's it's really hard because I think the guys really struggle because they can't do a lot all they have to do is go into a room do their provide thing. you with a sample and that's it really and then just be your, your support that's it and so Rory found it quite difficult because he just wanted to help me and he would see me you know, you've got to do all these injections, hormone injections and things like that. And he'd watch me doing them and he was just like, I don't know how you do that every day. Like, how do you do that? And was also really thankful, I think, as well, because he was just like, you're doing this so we can have our family that we always dreamed of. Um, so there's a lot of hormones that go flying around. But thankfully, I wasn't moody or anything. 
and he will agree with me. <laughs> he will Rory, agree with email me. us if you don't agree. <laughs> but for, for other women, it can really, they can go through quite a roller coaster mm. from the hormones. It's a roller coaster of emotions just in general because you're going, I, I never thought we'd have to do this. It should be such a natural thing to be able to have children. That's what we're made for. That's what the you know the female body is made for. Um, so you do get down and you think, why is my body failing me? And you kind of feel that way. But then you just do it. You just get on with it and just, yeah. So how many months of IVF was it before you fell pregnant? So we did one cycle, which is one egg collection. So you go under, they collect all your eggs and then they pair them up with the sperm to make embryos, which then become your babies. So we did one round. So we were really lucky. So we did one round and we got four embryos out of that. So that's four potential pregnancies out of that. So from that, our first one, we had Leo. Coming up after the break, we dive in to the grief that has defined Belle and Rory's life for the last 18 months. But we also talk about the love that came about and what it was like to welcome little Sunny into the world too. But first, a word from our sponsor. Your pregnancy with Leo was going well until about the 34-week mark, is yeah, that right? And yeah. something wasn't right and you went to the doctor. Do you remember much of that day? Yeah, so I had amazing pregnancy. I wasn't sick. I was really active. I was having all of my checkups. So we were seeing our obstetrician every month at the start and then it goes to every two weeks. So like quite a bit and everything was fine. And then so the day that we realize we lost Leo I woke up that morning and I had a work lunch on and I also had a hair appointment and I just turned to Roy and I said oh I just I don't want to go today like let's just spend the day together he had the day off and he's like well I'm gonna go surfing why don't you bring the dogs down and we'll like have a nice day at the beach I'm like okay which is really unlike me like I don't really ever cancel work things or anything like that so that sits weird with me now I'm like did I know deep down something wasn't right had a beautiful day and then that night we got into bed and he was like chatting to my belly and I just sort of had a thought and I was like I haven't felt the baby we didn't know it was a boy at the time I haven't felt the baby move much today and he's like oh yeah you 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 went for a big walk like everything will be fine you just think everything's going to be fine and then after about 15 minutes I was like we were sort of prodding and poking and I was like no I don't I don't feel good about this and he was like okay, we'll call our obstetrician, jump straight on the phone straight away. Thankfully, because I think I would have sat there and gone, I don't want to annoy him. It's 9.30 at night. And it's so easy to just say, it's fine. Yeah. It's going to be fine. And so often women are told, it's fine, don't stress. Exactly, exactly. So, and when you think, when you've been told everything was going fine because everything was going fine, there was no reason to question it at all. Like no reason And 34 weeks, you're really far along. You're in the home stretch. Yeah. Yeah. So you can have a baby at 34 weeks and they're completely fine. Completely fine. So we called our obstetrician. He was great. He's like, I'm going to call the hospital and they're going to expect you there and I'll I'll meet you there. I'm like, okay. So we're on the way there. And I just kept thinking, as soon as I walk through those doors, I'm going to feel a big kick and I'm going to feel like an idiot. But in saying that, now I've learned, even if that was to happen, keep walking in and just get checked. You just need to get checked. So... We went in and all the nurses, the midwives were lovely, but they're just kind of like, oh, everything will be fine. We always have women coming in getting checked for this. So they took me in and 
they sort of took a little bit of time. So I was sitting there getting anxious. I'm like, oh my God, he still hasn't kicked yet. Baby still hasn't kicked. And then she put on a thing called a Doppler, which is a CTG. So you can hear the baby's heartbeat and they register the heart rate of the baby. So did that and she couldn't find the heartbeat. And I was kind of like sitting there and I was, it was like I was outside of my body watching myself. Sorry. Take all of the time that you want. And I just remember getting this sinking feeling in my belly, just thinking, I don't think there's a little life in there anymore. I just was thinking, surely this isn't happening, but it's like deep down, I think I was just like, but it is, Belinda, like this is what's happening right now to you. Rory was looking at me and I just, it, he was the hardest person to watch through it all because he was just holding on to so much hope that, you know, no, it's everything's fine. But I could feel that. I hadn't felt the baby move, whereas he sort of was just there going, no, 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 I'm sure it has, I'm sure it has. So anyway, then I just saw the midwife's face change and I was just like, oh, shit. She goes, I'm just going to go and get the ultrasound machine. And when they do that, you're just like, that's not good. They put the CTG on there first because that's the first thing that picks up a heartbeat. So she went and got, she she brought in another nurse with her almost because they would need the support too. Yeah. Like that's awful for a midwife to have to go through and to tell someone, you know, your baby is no longer alive. So she came back in and she was really like pressing quite hard. I felt like I could almost feel her pressing to my spine. Mm-hmm. She was really trying so hard to wake the baby up or just get some movement. And I sort of looked at the machine and you usually see the flicker and I just straight away and she couldn't really even say it at the start and I was like there's not a heartbeat is there there's not one and she sort of stopped for a second and she was like no there's not and then in the next breath she was like but your obstetrician's here I'm going to get him to come in and check and I was just there going like thinking to myself oh my god he's not going to find anything there's nothing I can do like you have no control over it like in that moment there is nothing that you can do to change the outcome and Rory was sitting there going I heard a heartbeat before I heard a heartbeat check I heard and they're going that was her heartbeat that was not the baby's heartbeat and he just broke down like he was broken and I just sat there in complete shock feeling like I failed him and I failed our baby because that's our role as mums, is to take care of our children. And I just felt like I failed that. What happens after the ultrasound, after they decide that, yeah, there's definitely no heartbeat, you have to give birth? Yeah, so literally that night they said, okay, so we'll keep you in here and you'll we'll get the baby out tomorrow. And I was like, shit, this is happening. Like, we're having this baby now. And our obstetrician, thankfully, was like, guys do you know what I've had a chat to the midwives go home for the night if you want to have some time and then come back tomorrow and that was really important I'm so glad that we were able to do that because we came home we had the dogs on the bed for the night and we just had like a family night it was such a weird feeling knowing what we were going back to the hospital to do the next day but I'm glad that we had that time together so then the next morning we got up, went in and I was thinking the whole time, I'm just going to have a Caesar because I just want it to be as quick and as painless as possible. So you go in and you literally have to do it all over again. So you've got to have another ultrasound. You've got to have everything, you know, we found out 
that it was a little boy, all of that stuff. And every little thing you do, it makes you more sad because we found out we were having a boy and then I'm going, oh, it was a little Rory. That's really sad. And then, you know, there's just You imagine their life, I'm imagining. Exactly. You plan and what would he look like? Oh, he could have surfed with Rory. Like all of these things you start to think about that you're not going to be able to do or Rory's not going to be able to do with his son. I'm not going to be able to do with my son. And then we spoke to a midwife and our obstetrician and said, what are our options? We're thinking Caesar. And they, without saying it, they kind of advised us more towards giving birth. And I was just looking to them for answers. I was like, what do I do? And they can't tell you, I don't think. But you don't trust any of your decision-making in that because you just think, you question everything. You question, God, what you're going to have for breakfast in that moment because you've just lost all of your confidence within yourself. So... We then decided, okay, we'll do, we'll, we'll give birth. So from that point, you literally start the induction process as anyone else would do. So they started inducing me and thankfully gave me the option to have an epidural from the start. So I didn't have any physical pain because it's already painful enough. So started that whole process. And then, yeah, I had, so started that at 10 a.m. And then I had him at 8.02 the next morning. So tell us about Leo. Oh, he, he was the cutest little thing. Like seriously, he had like this little button nose and these, I just kept looking at the bottom half of his face, his lips and his nose. I just wanted to eat. It was so cute. (laughs) And he was 34 weeks and he had chubby cheeks, chubby little thighs. And that love that you feel like is like no other like I love Rory a lot (laughs) but I'm telling you right now when you have made a child and I don't want to be one of those people that's like you just wait you just wait (laughs) because I hate that but he this love it's just instant like you love them when they're inside of you yeah you do you love them from the moment you find out that they exist but meeting him being able to hold him and think we made this was unreal it was Sounds silly. It was a beautiful experience having him. It was, it was quiet and peaceful. And then you remember why it was quiet and peaceful because there was no cry or anything like that. But at the same time, it was a beautiful experience. It felt peaceful and it did feel like he was still there with us. It felt like he was around and he was just a little bundle of cuteness. I think it would be so easy for people to put the label on that day as like the worst day of your life, but it must be a strange one for you because it's also the beautiful day that you met Leo. It is exactly right. So I remember that as like a beautiful day and the worst day of my life was the day we had to say goodbye to him. So I, I classify us saying goodbye to him as the day we literally saw him for the last time. So that day was beautiful day. And then working out, okay, are we going to have a funeral or cremate him? Because they, they have a birth certificate. Like, they are classified as, he's my first child. So we had to organise for him to be picked up and taken to the funeral home. And we decided not to go with him. And we just had him cremated. And that was definitely the worst day. Because you should never be, you should never be saying goodbye to your child. Your child should be saying goodbye to you one day. Or that's what I believe. You know, you always expect to, your children to outlive you, not you to outlive them. So that was really hard. What shape does the grief of stillbirth take? What were the months after losing Leo like? Um, So for me, Rory and I grieved slightly differently, but then the same at the same time. So there's a lot of why did that happen to us? And then with me, it was a cloud of guilt that just followed me all the time. I was like, 
did I do this wrong? Did I do that wrong? Why did I do this? What, you know, you just question everything you did and you're like, could I have prevented this somehow? Those days I don't really have anymore because I've, I've learned so much more about it. And we've had every test done under the sun for Leo and even the experts can't work out why he's no longer with us. So I had the guilt, whereas Rory was just, he was so worried about himself, but he was so worried about me as well because he was just like, you carried him for nine months nearly. So he's just like, I'm worried for you. And then he had the anger. So he got quite angry, whereas I was just sad. I was just broken. I would sit at home and I'd be fine one minute and then I'd be in my room crying at the next and then I'd be fine. And then, you know, you just, it's like any grief, just waves, mm. just comes in waves. One thing Zara and I noticed when we were going back through your feed, because obviously we saw the announcement post that mm-hmm. you had lost Leo yeah. last year, but one thing we noticed going back was that you always had Lion Warrior and you always had, I guess, the movement mm. behind it from the very beginning, yeah. a week after you lost him. And I wonder, was that a conversation that you wanted to use this story for a bigger purpose? Yeah, so we definitely thought within... Oh, very soon after we lost Leah, within a week, we thought, okay, we need to do something to raise awareness about this. His, his life, we need a legacy for him because this isn't all for nothing. We're not going to lose our child and then it be for nothing. It's, it's selfish as well because we want people to be talking about Leo and it's a nice way for people to have the opportunity to talk about Leo. But at the same time, we want to do something. We want some good to come from this. We don't want it to be a negative experience, just a negative memory that's pushed to the side. So we had always said we want to raise awareness and we want to raise funds somehow for research to work out why, because that's the hardest thing. We don't know why we lost him. Mm. And you're not going to find out unless there's research and more studies done. It's like taking a sense of power and control back over exactly. something that you're totally powerless yeah. over, right? Yeah, for sure. One thing that then also stuck out to us, and I'm sure many of the people who follow you both, was that your second pregnancy wasn't online at all. No. I, I know it's probably an obvious answer, but why was that the decision? Uh, so we, we did IVF again and we sort of went through that process not knowing how long it would take us. And thankfully, again, we were successful first time around with that. So from then, we just decided, no, people don't understand enough about stillbirth they are going to think we're fine and that this is a replacement child and everything's fine now and peachy and, you know, oh, they're they're not grieving anymore. But we were still grieving and we were still really struggling to come to terms with the loss of Leo and also stressed with, are we going to be, is this baby going to be okay? Like, are we going to be able to take this baby home because we didn't take Leo home? So we just couldn't really justify letting everyone know because, it just puts extra pressure on us and just more stress, projected stress, I think, was the big thing we thought. People go, you must be stressed that, you know, are you stressed? And I'd be like, well, I was okay, but now you've said that, now I feel stressed. Yeah. Yeah. How did you feel when you saw the pregnancy test that you were pregnant? With so Sunny? they call, So with IVF, they call you and let you oh. know. So they called, Rory was home, thankfully, that morning. So you go in, at, we went in about 7am, have a blood test, and then you come home. It's weird. It's literally a call to tell you, yeah, you're expecting a baby. So then at about 10.30, they called us and they knew us really well by then. And they were just like, we've got some really great news. And it was a real mix of emotions. It was guilt to be happy for an, about having another child because mm. I felt like I was letting Leo down, like I shouldn't be happy about that. But then it was excitement as well. And then we found out this time what, what we were having, the gender, and that was another wave because it was another boy. And we were like, 
is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Like, we don't know. How do you actually hide a pregnancy from the outside world? You two uh, are incredibly recognisable. Well, Katmandu. Not- ah. Katmandu jackets. But I know this might sound like a silly question, but I think when I realised you had given birth to Sunny and it was such happy news, the second yeah. thought was, do you have to have a conversation with media outlets locally to make sure that they don't report that? Does the club come in? Like, how does that process work? So I think people did know. I think I think some media outlets within Adelaide knew that we were pregnant only late on later on just because towards the end I was more I'm not going to try and hide it as much anymore I mean I wasn't going out wearing tight things but I wasn't really conscious of it whereas start to middle I was quite conscious so Katmandu jackets were my best friend and it was winter so I was very lucky and then everyone I so I work with channel seven but thankfully my producer was really great and I told her the news and she was like, we'll shoot your front on, we'll, you know. So on camera, sometimes you can't tell because you're front on. Yeah. So unless you turn to the side. But I think the media outlets that did find out just respected it and, and the, we weren't announcing it for a reason. So I think, thankfully, they really respected that. With the last pregnancy, it got announced for without you. us. Really? Well, it was, we got wind that it was getting announced. So that night we said, shit, let's put it on Instagram tonight because we want to be the ones that – we weren't going to announce it. We're like, we want to be the ones that announce of it. Course. We don't want, you know, a media outlet to announce it. So I think they knew that they did wrong by us last time and they – props to them. They respected us mm. this time. I'm really interested in the pregnancy with Sunny. I'm actually a child after a stillbirth. So my mum had okay. a stillbirth with my sister Jennifer and I was the child after. Yeah. And I've heard so much about that pregnancy with me and yeah. how my mum told everyone what my gender was when she did it with Jennifer and she told them my name from okay. the very get-go because she wanted people to, in case she lost me, to oh, grieve wow. me. And I wonder, was there anything that you put in place when you were pregnant with Sunny so that people around you could be prepared or that people would recognise that this is a really significant life to you? I just think the way we educated our friends, we've always been really open talking about Leo. We talk about him all the time and I'm happy for people to ask me about him and I actually love people asking me about him. So I think setting that precedent from early on that, okay, we're happy to talk about Leon, we're happy to talk about everything. Everyone really respected how amazing this was that we were pregnant again with another little one and how we would feel on edge and nervous at times and sad at times so I think the fact that we were open with Leo and how our feelings after Leo that really helped educate our friends and family on how to help us with the next pregnancy so with pregnancy with Sunny. And what did the people around you do not just when you were grieving but when you were pregnant again to help you like what kind of things or elements of support were really, really helpful? Because I imagine there's so many people listening wanting to know. Yeah, they just checked in a lot. So I've got some really good girlfriends that live around here and they're like, do you want to go for a walk? Or otherwise I'll just bring you a coffee or this or that. And on those walks, they would talk about the baby in my belly, but then they would also always mention Leo at some point throughout that conversation. And that was really lovely because it wasn't like he was just forgotten about and he was he was in the past like he was still spoken about and that really helped I think definitely because you didn't feel oh that's in our past life and now this is our new life and this is the happy part of our life they made it feel like it's all one it's all important tell us about the day Sonny was born so he was so we had him early we had him at 36 and three days oh, wow. 36 and four yeah so we we were actually booked in though to have him just because the stress of it all would have just, we planned it from the start. If everything was going to plan, he was growing and strong. That's sort of like a, 
an okay time to have him. I had had some inject steroid injections the week before, so that helps with their lungs just to make sure that they're really developed. So we, the night before we had him, or the day before we had him, we went to a friend's barbecue and we knew that we were going in the next morning. Everyone's like, oh, not long now, only like four weeks, four weeks to have him. And I was like, yeah, I know, I know. Oh, it's going to be so good. They're like, you can have another baby in like four weeks. And I was like, yeah, in like tomorrow morning, four hours. <laughs> so... Yeah, the next morning we woke up. I slept two hours that night because I was so excited. And I was just constantly pressing on my belly. Poor thing. Like, I'm surprised you didn't come out with, like, dense <laughs> So I was just pressing, like, move for me, move for me. And I'm like, he's got to sleep at some point. But every hour, it's like I wanted him to be moving. <laughs> so we went in that morning. And it, I just felt so happy when it was an hour before I was about to have him. And I could feel him wriggling around. It was the best feeling. So we went in and we had him, which was really lovely. It was a beautiful experience, so different to last time. Obviously, I had Leo naturally and then this time had a Caesar, but so beautiful. Could you enjoy that entire day then? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we had him early. We had him our obstetrician booked us in at 7am. So we're like the first ones, first cab off the rank. He we was want like, this baby yeah, out. He's like, I'm going to book you in first thing. So he was out by 7.09. It was just surreal. Like when they gave him to us, I was just like, oh my God, he's here. He is finally here. Like finally we've got our little boy that we've been thinking about for the last nine months. It was just re- a huge relief the day that we had him. And then again, you go, how am I going to love a child as much as I love Leo? but you just find room in your heart. I don't know where it comes from, but you just find that room. How will you talk to Sunny about Leo? We'll talk about him just like, oh, we'll just talk about his big brother and how brave he was and how strong he was. If we hadn't had Leo, Sunny wouldn't be here. So I think that's really important as well to sort of educate him like, oh, you're here, you know, your big brother made way for you Mm. to come and be with us. And we've still got the nursery that we had set up for Leo and that's now Sunny's room, as you would do with kids. You move them into each other's rooms as they grow. And so there's a lot of Leo stuff still in there, but then there's Sunny's stuff too. So I can't wait for the day that he's like at school or something and he can go and take something of Leo's and be like, this was my big brother's, you know, and talk about Leo like we do yeah. I think that'll be really cute we're sitting next to a big Christmas tree yes. am I right in thinking there's a bauble for Leo as well oh you've God, got like dad ten. mum Leo <laughs> and Sonny yes. yeah there's a Leo there there's a Leo there yeah there's so many and then there's like a little picture of him like there's so much so last Christmas because we lost him end of August everyone was so lovely and so these are like from family and friends they bought them for us because they knew Christmas would be a really tough time so it's it's nice that we've got all of that stuff for him just to remember him earlier this year you wrote he continues to shape the people we are today our hope is that by sharing his story with the world we can raise awareness and funds to reduce stillbirth rates within australia can you talk about that nationwide stillbirth research campaign that i touched on before that you launched with rory this year yeah so we as i said earlier we always wanted to do something we wanted to build a legacy for leo and thankfully red nose approached us after seeing that we were quite open in talking about Leo. So they approached us and said, you know, we're now putting a lot of funding towards stillbirth because SIDS, the rates have been reduced by 85%, which is absolutely amazing. So it's freed up resources and funds for them. And they said, we think you guys would be really great to help us sort of get a bit more traction to raise awareness around stillbirth. And we were like, great. And the reason why we did Lion Warrior is because Leo means lion and Sloan means warrior. 
So that's kind of where it comes from. And we said, well, we've actually been thinking we want to do something around Lion Warrior. Had a few meetings and they were like, right, sure, sub-brand, Lion Warrior, that can be stillbirth. So we're going to really heavily get stuck into that 2020 and I can't wait. So we'll just, it's just education. So it's education around if you've got a friend that's been through a stillbirth or if you're pregnant, things to look for or just awareness that it happens and it happens to anybody. Mm. It doesn't, you don't have to be unwell. You don't have to be, have to have had a tough pregnancy. It can literally happen to anybody. And I think everyone goes, oh, it's quite rare. It's not rare at all. It's higher than the national road toll. It's nuts. Like it's crazy that it happens so often, but it's not spoken about because it's sad and people don't want to speak about it. But at the same time, unless we speak about it, nothing's going to be done to change it, to change those rates. Speaking of that, we know that someone listening to this will have experienced stillbirth in some form. And I want to know to that woman who's listening and who has just gone through this, what would you say to her? Just talk. Talk and however you grieve is fine. There are no rules around grief because as soon as you try to suppress something, that's when it's going to build up and it's like a champagne bottle. You shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it. It's just going to explode at some point. So I think just be really open. And if you need help, go and get help. That is the best thing that Rory and I did. We went and got help from a grief counselor and she just made us feel like all of our feelings and emotions were how we needed to feel at that point in time. And also there's a great read, Ask Me His Name. And that is amazing. So it's about a woman in L. Wright. She's in the UK and she had a little boy who passed away after a few days in hospital. And the way she writes is amazing. And I've recommended that to so many people. That really helped us, our families and our friends to understand what you're going through. But definitely just talking. Talking helps a lot. And I know these people will think I'm never going to be happy again you will be happy again one day. Trust me, I was sitting there looking at photos of Rory and I and we'd both go, look how happy we were. And I'm like, we are that happy again. There's a part of us missing that will never be complete, but we're still happy. Like Mm -hmm. we are happy again and that day will come and don't rush it. It takes time, but it will eventually get there. What's next for you, for Rory? For Sunny? Um, summer. Can't wait to take him <laughs> to the beach. So for us, I don't know. I th- well, we'd love to add to the family more. So have some more little kitties. And also just continue to to live life as a little family. We love like exploring SA together as a family. So just keep doing that, exploring and teaching Sunny things and, and also trying to build more of this legacy for Leo. So yeah, like I said, next year, 2020 is a big year for Lion Warrior. So I can't wait to get my teeth into that. And all of this in mind, what is success to you? How do you define success in your own life? What? I was like thinking about this question <laughs> and I was like, am I overthinking this? I'm like, what do what what would I think is like a successful day or a successful year? And I just think, and this is probably just everyone go, oh God. But I think being happy is success to me it's not that easy to be happy I think people just think you've always got to be happy you've always got to be happy or sad you can feel both emotions at one but I think just being happy and content with where you're at at that point in time not comparing yourself to other people I think that makes you successful within yourself and yeah you should always feel proud of yourself too 
Belle, you have been such a delight. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for having us in your beautiful home no and worries. for sharing because it's not an easy story to share. Yeah, sorry about the tears. I was no, like, oh, I'm I'm I was not, crying. What I'm not going to cry today. But it, you also don't have to share any of it. Like that is your story and it can very much just stay within the walls of your family and your home. But to share it in such a public way and doing the work you're doing is incredible and we are so, so thankful. Thank you. Now eat some fruit. I know we will. <laughs> we absolutely will eat now. Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Belle Sloan. Please do go and follow Belle on Instagram at Belle underscore Sloan. And if you know a woman who has been affected by stillbirth, maybe consider sending her this episode as well. Additional support for bereaved parents is also available at Sands, who you can call anytime, day or night on 1300 072 637. We can also recommend our chat with Lee Campbell if you did enjoy this interview. Lee spoke of grief and loss so eloquently when we sat down with her earlier this year, so I'll put a link to that episode in our show notes. We will also put a thread about this episode in our Facebook group. You can find us on Facebook at Shameless Podcast Community. That is all from us and from me, guys. We will be back in your ears on Monday. Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now. Every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.